My name's Darren. It's nice to be with you all. It's great to sort of be together, I think, because we have two services on any normal Sunday. Uh, sometimes you don't get the chance to see other people that attend the church. Plus, we've got guests here today. We're glad you're here. Nice to have friends and family. And we've got an amazing barbecue happening in a few minutes, so we're excited that you'll be a part of that as well. And we're starting a new series this morning called Who We Are. So for those of you who are new, I know colleges are just getting started in the last couple of weeks. If you're a college student that's here, we've got a few events for college students happening. You can check that out at the Connect wall uh, during the barbecue or whatever. But uh, this is a great time to be jumping in if you're new, even if you're new to our church in the last couple of weeks, because over the next four weeks, uh, we're going to be talking about why Fullerton Free? Like, what is this going on here? What is this church about? Why do we exist? What is it we're aiming at? That Who We Are series is all about sort of defining the things that are most important to us. As we get started this morning, we're going to talk about the most important thing to us. And it's funny. I was thinking about fourth grade because Sienna and I were talking about it. When I was in fourth grade, uh, we got a new PE teacher, and uh, that's not a that's not a big deal. Except that when the new PE teacher came in, he didn't know all of us, and so he said to us on his first day, which was also the first day of school, he said, uh, "I'm going to call out your name off the roster, and if you have uh, something else that you like to be called by, please let me know." Now, what he was thinking was that if there were kids in the room named Henry and they like to be called Hank, or there were kids in the room named Stephen and they like to be called Steve, that you could clarify that so the PE teacher didn't call you the wrong thing all year, right? You clarify if you go by something different than it's on the roster. When he said it, though, I thought, this is my chance. <laughs> you know, like, my name's Darren, and if, you've, if you're named Darren, you know that, like, when you go to Disneyland and they have the little bumper stickers or the pins or whatever, there's no pins with Darren. There are now, but back in the day, like, Darren was kind of a weird name, and so he said, if you want to, he didn't say if there's another name you're called by, he said, if you want to be called something different, tell me now. And I'm like, I do. So, uh, I couldn't, I wasn't super creative. So I just, I just chose my middle name, which no one in my life has ever called me by the way. So when he calls me, he says, uh, Darren McWatters. And I said, yes, I prefer to be called Scott. And all my friends were like, what? And uh, I'm like, yeah, that's what I want to be called. So uh, the teacher's like, okay. And he writes it in the margin. And then for the whole first half of the year, he called me Scott. And that would have been fine had it been in the normal classroom, except I didn't know he was going to call me that. Like, I didn't remember that I was called that in this one place. And that's particularly troubling if, for instance, the PE teacher is throwing a basketball at you, right? So there were all kinds of moments where during that first sort of half of the year where the coach would be like, you know, Hey, Mike, and he'd throw the ball, and he'd be like, Steve, and he'd throw the ball, and he'd be like, Scott, and I'd be like, who? And then, you know, hit in the face, right? So finally, he comes to me, and he says, I can sort of tell uh, by just sort of paying attention that maybe no one else in the world calls you Scott, and I was like, yeah, but you said if we wanted to be called something else, and he's like, that's not what I meant, I'm calling you Darren, and then I didn't get any more bruises in PE that year, so it was nice. Uh, understanding both who we are and who we are to other people is at the core of this message. And in that particular moment, uh, I confused the matter of who I was. Does that make sense? When we as a church at Fullerton Free here on the corner of Braston, Cherry, and Brea, when we talk about who we are, first and foremost, there is nowhere else to start. Primarily and almost exclusively, Jesus followers. You want to figure out how to define what we're doing here? Why we're gathered on a Sunday morning, any given Sunday? We are here 
because we are followers of Jesus. Jesus is central to what we're doing, right? He's central to what we're doing. Now, when I say almost exclusively, there are things that sort of flow out of the centrality of Christ. So I don't want to say following Jesus is the only thing we do. There are a lot of things we do. But everything we do points back to the idea of Jesus at the center and following Jesus in response to his call as the core of what we are about as a church, right? When we look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Matthew 4, 17 is one of several summaries in the Bible of the message of Jesus. And the message of Jesus, as is summarized by gospel writers in various ways, is always a message of the availability of the kingdom. So in Matthew four seventeen it says, After that time, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or the kingdom of heaven is available. And what Jesus was preaching, and that's, that's not the, the length and entirety of his message. Some of you wish I would preach a one-sentence message, right? Jesus preached more than that, but that is an accurate summary of the intent and the content of Jesus' message. What he was saying is, turn around, go a different direction. That's what repent means. Go a different way because you could be living in the kingdom of God, right? Jesus preached that message on the regular. That was at the heart of what he came to proclaim to people. You could be living in God's kingdom right now and then continue into God's kingdom after you die. That's the message of Christ. It's the message of us here. Interestingly, though, in Matthew four seventeen, after the summary of his call to the kingdom of God, we see him call the first disciples. So reading on in Matthew four seventeen, it says this. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then it says in 18, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. He said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, and the, son of, James the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. I want you to see a couple of things about this. Jesus preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is available. But functionally and practically, the way he worked that out was to walk among the people, and when he spotted people, he would say to them, hey, why don't you turn away from what you're doing and do something new? Why don't you be my followers? Why don't you follow me? Now, in a rabbinical society like the one these guys lived in, to follow a rabbi was to forsake everything else in your life. It was the setting aside of your own pursuits and your own dreams and your own desires, your own philosophies, in order to adopt the pursuits and the philosophies and the desires of your teacher. So Jesus sees these men in the boat, and they were fishermen, and he calls out to them, hey, why don't you leave what you're doing and follow me? And immediately they drop what they're doing and they follow him. They turn away from the thing they were doing to begin something new. I want you to see a couple of things about that. First of all, I want you to see that it's Jesus's intention, right? It's Jesus's uh, motivation that is the first catalyst for this. They don't go looking for a new rabbi. They were very happy fishing. And Jesus injects himself into their lives and he says, I want to introduce you to something else. So what I want you to see in that is that when we say that here at Fullerton Free, first and foremost, we are followers of Jesus. That's not something we came up with, right? We didn't invent that. It's not a thing we sat around in a, you know, in a conference room with whiteboards and thought, what should our church be about? The idea of following Jesus 
is Jesus' plan from the get-go. The idea of entering the kingdom of God is about following Jesus. We're just doing a thing Jesus came up with. It didn't require any innovation, no creativity. We are doing the thing that Jesus started. He said follow. He was the catalyst for that. It was his intention and his goal to call followers. Now I want you to also notice that when he calls them, he calls them in a unique way that's specific to who they are. So he says to these fishermen, follow me and I'm going to make you a new kind of fisherman. He doesn't erase everything about who they are. He doesn't erase everything about where they've been or what they love or what they're good at. What he says is, I can take who you are and make it even better. You're created uniquely and beautifully. That whole, that whole idea of, of drawing in fish, we're going to use that for the kingdom of God. In our lives, when God calls us to follow, we don't lose our uniqueness, right? We don't, use, we don't lose our hobbies and our gifts and our talents. We don't lose those things. The things that we are are brought into followership with Jesus. So for instance, if he were calling me, he might not say, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He might see me with a PlayStation controller in my hand and say, follow me and I'll show you how to really level up, right? That would make sense to a video game guy, right? Or he might see me at a concert. My wife and I go to a lot of concerts in LA. He might say to me, hey, follow me and I will introduce you to the most beautiful music you've ever heard and we will really gather a crowd, right? So what's he saying to the fishermen? He, he wouldn't say that to everyone. He says it to them because it's who they are. He says, I'm going to take who you are and we're going to draw that into the kingdom of God. That's good news for you and I because sometimes when we think about following Jesus, that's the core of who we are. We think that we all just be, sort of become automatons and we leave all of the things that we love behind. It isn't true. He redeems all of those. So if you happen to be a fisherman, good for you. This verse is literally for you. But if you're in love with something else or you have other gifts and talents and hobbies and pursuits, Jesus redeems all of those, right? It's his plan to draw people into followership because, as we just had read to us a second ago, he is at the center of everything. He's at the center of everything. Let that soak in for a second, right? Jesus is central to creation. He's not only central to the church, but he's central to human history. He's central to the past and the present and the future. Let me read it to you again. Colossians 1.15. Speaking of the Lord Jesus, this one who calls followers. It says he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. By Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus, all things hold together. Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, Jesus might be preeminent. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his, that's Jesus's, cross. Jesus isn't just the center of our church. He's the center of everything we know and everything we experience. Now, there are people who don't see him in all of that, but as followers of Jesus and as believers in the written word, we understand that Jesus is at the core. So it makes sense that when we start to talk about who we are as a church, we would talk about Jesus at the center. But it's also important for you to understand that when we talk about Jesus at the center, we're not talking about theory, right? So what I'm not saying is, I just read you Colossians 1, 15 through 20. How many of you agree that that's true? I could probably get most of you to raise your hands. What we're doing as a church is not asserting theological truth, right? There's not going to be a systematic theology test someday where God's going to say, hey, do you believe that Jesus is at the center? Now, what we're doing here goes beyond theoretical theology 
It's about practical theology. When Jesus says, get out of your boat, leave your net, walk away from your livelihood and follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. He's not saying, do you believe I'm capable of that? He's not saying, do you believe I'm a worthy rabbi? Or do you believe I have something interesting to bring to the table? He's not asking them what they think about him. He's saying, follow me, right? Let's go. So what we're doing here as a church, just to be clear, is not just about asserting that what it says in Colossians 1 is true. It's not just about making sure that you know certain tenets of the Bible are facts. It's about understanding that all of those facts, if they don't produce action in you, James says, they're worthless, right? If you don't understand the truth that Jesus is central and then he becomes central to your life, then it's a waste of time. What we're not doing here is just trying to educate people about Jesus. We educate people about Jesus for the practical theological implications in the way they interact with their neighbors and the way they run their businesses and the way they treat their wives and their children. Right? All of that centrality of Christ, that followership of Jesus, plays out in the way we live. It is central to who we are. Church is not about behaving, or excuse me, it's not about believing this theoretically. It's about practicing this belief. So let's stop for 20 seconds. And let me ask you, is Jesus central to your life? I think the answer is yes, or at least you want it to be, right? But functionally, just think about what you did yesterday. How central was Jesus to what you did yesterday? Now, that's not to make you feel guilty or to shame you, but the reality is that functionally, most of us are living our lives, and while we will answer the question on the systematic theology test, Jesus is central, what we choose to do with our time and our energy, the way we choose to interact, we don't really think about Jesus. You think about Jesus when you're here, probably. The goal of our church, Fullerton Free, exists that Jesus would be revealed, not just for an hour on Sunday morning, but that Jesus would be revealed in every moment of our lives. That as Christ is revealed to us through his word, through his spirit, through the way in which his love is revealed in its infinite depth in our community, as Christ is revealed to us, then what? Christ becomes revealed in us. And not just revealed in us individually, not just that Darren is becoming more like Jesus, although I hope I am, but that Christ is revealed in us, in our body. Peter says we're like living stones in a spiritual house built up as a residence for God's spirit to be on display. So that as God, Christ is revealed to us, Christ is revealed in us personally and corporately. Why? So that Christ will be, be, be revealed by us in our communities, in our workplaces, in our schools, right? And then as Christ is revealed by us, what happens? That cycle begins over again with our neighbors and our friends and our coworkers, right? That they have Christ revealed to them through us, and then he is revealed in them and then by them, right? So that thing just repeats. You've probably heard us talk about that before. Why, though? It's because we're not satisfied with the theoretical, we're looking for the practical. What, what is your life centered on? Fullerton Free is centered on the Lord Jesus. First and foremost, we are followers of Christ. And that is a practical outworking, a tangible outworking of things we believe. But it isn't just about beliefs. It's because of that, right, that we imitate Christ. He called us to do things the way he did. In John chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus said to them, this is on Easter night in that upper room, uh, in this little room where the, where the disciples are all sort of hunkered down for fear, Jesus busts in in John 20, 21, and he says to his disciples, shalom, or peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. What he says to them, he, he tells them shalom. He says, may you have a, a sense of wholeness and wellness, the peace that only comes from God. 
And then he says, what the Father sent me to do, I'm handing that mission off to my body, the church. I'm handing that mission off to all of you. And let me tell you, in the places where you take forgiveness, forgiveness will go. And in the places where you hold forgiveness for yourself, forgiveness will not go. Because I only have one plan to reach the world. I only have one plan to reach the world, and that is through my church, the body, right? So that revelation of Christ is not just important to us, it was important to Jesus, Jesus to us and in us and by us is not just a thing we came up with around here. That's Jesus' plan, that we would imitate him, that we would carry out his mission. So then, who is Jesus, right? That's important. If we're going to imitate him, if we're going to carry out his mission, who is he? Well, let me just give you a, a, a small sampling of that. This is a list I found by a guy named Matt Slick. It's a hundred truths about Jesus, and this is just scratching the surface. Jesus claimed to be God. He is called God. He's the image of the invisible God. Jesus abides forever. He created all things. He's before all things. He's eternal. He is honored the same as the Father. He is prayed to. Jesus is worshipped. He's omnipresent. Jesus is with us always. He's our only mediator between God and ourselves. Jesus is the guarantee of a better covenant. Jesus said of himself, I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the true vine. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the first and the last. Jesus always lives to make intercession for us. He He cleanses us from sin. He cleanses us from our sins by his blood. He forgives sins. He saves forever. He discloses himself to us. He draws all men to himself. He gives eternal life. I'm only at 30 on this guy's list of 100, and this guy's list of 100 is not comprehensive. I'm tired myself from listening to myself read it. I'm going to stop. But when we talk about the revelation of Christ, the reason I even illustrate that is that it's not as simple as going like, oh yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus. He was a nice guy. Right? Well, it's a little more complicated than that, right? Oh, I'm a follower of Jesus. He gave some good speeches and he died on the cross. Well, yeah, 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 he did give some good speeches and he did die. But it's a little more complex than that. We, as a church, have our work cut out for us. I've just read you 30 truths about Jesus that don't even scratch the surface of who he is. If we are called to follow him and to imitate him and to reveal him on this earth, we got a lot of work to do because we have to know him. And who he is is complex. Who he is is nuanced, right? Who he is is deep and broad. And what we can learn from the scripture isn't even all there is to know about Jesus, right? We have a lot of work to do. Everything we do in this church, Fullerton Free, everything we do must be about the revelation of Christ. It must be about revealing Jesus. There are a couple of practical things. I'll just hit some of these really quickly. Our worship services are a good example of this. You may have noticed that uh, major holidays in this country seem to come and go. And we don't have special holiday services. You want to know why? It's not because we don't love America or because we don't love the workforce or because we don't love our veterans. We love all of those things and we are very thankful to be Americans. But this room, this service is about the worship of Jesus. And we make the worship of Jesus central in this room. Now sometimes we will use the birth of our country or whatever as a launching point to talk about the even greater freedom we have in Jesus, but what we're doing in this room is not about lifting up individuals. You will very seldom hear someone say, hey, wasn't that a great song or wasn't that a great message? Let's give a round of applause to the person who did it. And in those moments when they do that, usually somebody comes along and says, hey, all we're trying to do in this worship service is lift up the Lord Jesus, not the guy who preached, not the girl who sang, not the person who gave the announcements, right? Well, that's intentional. That's not accidental. If you come into this worship service and you go, It doesn't seem like we even hardly know much about the people on stage. The way to get to know the people on stage is to sit and have dinner with them. Because in this room, we're not lifting ourselves up. We're lifting up the name of Jesus, right? Because he's central. 
Because he is at the core of what we're doing, the revelation of Christ. There are other little ways this plays out. You hear us talk about circles, right? And the idea of circles is the idea that each and every one of us are built uniquely to have a unique impact on the individuals that God puts in our circle, right? In your sphere of influence. And that philosophy comes from the idea that Jesus is central, not the lead pastor, not the teaching team, not the singers, not the worship leaders, not the people who plan the events. None of those people are central to the gospel. They're just human beings. I'm just a human being like you. God has put a circle around me that I am more fit and equipped to share the gospel with than anybody else in this room. And I'm doing my darndest, but you're better to reach your circle than I am. Believe it or not. Yeah. Right. Agreed. Circles is because we see Jesus at the center. The following Jesus classes that we're doing, literally, we're saying to you like, hey, if, you, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're not exactly sure how to navigate that, we have a course and a class to talk about what it looks like to be discipled. Mentorships is about Jesus at the center. The collaborative culture, right? I, I get a lot of, well, I don't get a lot of emails, but I do, people could sort of do this winky thing. Normally when I come out and introduce myself, uh, I introduce myself as one of the shepherds on staff, right? And people will come up and they'll be like, good one, good one, one of the shepherds on staff. You know, I introduced myself like that on purpose, right? That's not an accident. Why do I introduce myself as one of the shepherds on staff? Because my job and my name are not important in this mix, right? I'm the leader. I understand the weight of responsibility of that. I'm accountable to the elders. I'm working collaboratively with the staff, but I'm not more important in this mix than any of you. I'm just a human being doing my best to follow Jesus on any given day with my unique talents and my unique gifts. But the fact that I happen to be the lead shepherd here is of no consequence unless I'm signing an insurance document or something, right? When it comes into this room, what are we? We're all followers of Jesus. We come to it different ways. And so people think I'm being cheeky when I say I'm one of the shepherds on staff. They think I'm being falsely humbled. That's not the point. The point of that is to make sure we understand this church has a senior pastor and his name is Jesus. And the rest of us work for him, right? When we talk about the centrality of Christ, our worship services, the removal of old hierarchies, collaborative culture, the fact that we have a plural teaching team. This is another little thing just to think about, right? Why do we have multiple teaching voices in this church? I certainly have the ability to teach every Sunday, right? If the elders were insisting that I do that, I'm capable of it. Why don't I? Why are there Sundays when I'm here and I'm not teaching and I'm just standing at the doors hugging people's necks and praying for your friends and greeting you and meeting your kids and whatever? Why is that? It's because I'm not the most important voice. Because there are other people in our congregation, both on our staff and off our staff, who are gifted teachers and we want to give them opportunities to sharpen those skills and to use their unique perspective for the glory of God and the kingdom of God, right? It's because I'm not the most important one. Who's the most important one? Jesus. It's why there is plurality. It's why there is collaboration. It's why uh, we do prayer the way we do, where we come and pray for one another, right? All of these things are intentional, and they're focused on lifting up Jesus' name and nobody else's, right? Lifting up Jesus' name and nobody else's. That's because we believe he is central to who we are. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, When I came to you, brothers... I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, right? I determined I could have come with fancy talk and all kinds of posturing. And instead I decided I was just going to focus on the centrality of Jesus and his death and resurrection. You guys, that is a great ministry strategy. You want to know who Fullerton Free is? We are people who are endeavoring to pull off that ministry strategy in this place, right? 
Attendance and finances are not what we are measuring, right? I know that's hard because that's the way you measure everything else. If you were a person who sold widgets, the way you'd figure out whether you were a successful widget salesman is by counting how many widgets you sold. In a church that is primarily following Jesus and the work of following Jesus, the transformation that happens is the Holy Spirit's work and not our work. Measuring the number of butts in the seats, pardon my language, doesn't really do it. It doesn't tell us anything about whether people are following Jesus. We can fill up the room if we just get the Rolling Stones to come and play on a Sunday, right? That wouldn't be spiritual transformation. I'm not just trying to fill up the room, and I'm not just trying to fill up the bank account. I'm not measuring those things at all. We have to be good stewards of them. We have to pay attention to our resources and be good stewards of the facility and all of that. But it is not the way we measure spiritual growth. We measure spiritual growth through conformity to Jesus, through the fruit that is produced by the presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's it. Right? Because Jesus is central. That's it. Jesus is central. It's also why we can't afford to be sidetracked or divided over non-essential things. It's also the centrality of Jesus is why we can't afford to be sidetracked or divided over non-essential things. I'll just pick an example out of the air. Politics, right? (laughs) Just hypothetically. You've heard me say it before. In this room... We, we, this is not a platform for a political agenda, right? This is not a, that's not what we're doing here. I've said to you before, uh, it was funny, we just talked about, I talked about this with uh, the troops who are coming into uh, membership today, praise God, right? Um, uh, I said a, a couple of months ago, I, I'm not a Republican, I'm not a Democrat, I'm a card-carrying member of the kingdom of God. I'm actually an ambassador at the embassy, and that's where my political loyalty lies. I vote regularly because I believe that civil participation is a vital part of discipleship, right? It's a vital part of following Jesus. But my choices with regard to voting have to do with my ambassadorship and not with where I live or what county I occupy or whatever, right? This place isn't about politics. It's about Jesus. We can't be divided by non-essential things like politics or entertainment or trying to build an empire or branding or money or status or comfort or preferences. We can't be divided by a useless theological debate, right? We studied this in Galatians. Galatians chapter 5, they're arguing, do you have to be circumcised or no? Galatians 5, 6, Paul says this, in Christ, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. He says, why are you letting yourself get divided on a theological debate that doesn't need to be solved? Focus on Jesus. We're also not going to let ourselves be divided or distracted by social divisions and social distinctions, right? Galatians 3, chapter 26 says this, in Christ Jesus, you're all sons and daughters of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male and female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. Right? Because of the centrality of Christ, everything we do, all of our programs, all of our teaching, everything we're aiming at, the way we spend our money, all of that is focused on lifting up the Lord Jesus and only on lifting up the Lord Jesus. We can't allow ourselves to be distracted by politics or people's comfort levels or whatever. It's not about our preference. Jesus calls us to lay our lives down to follow him, right? Our mission statement, you may be familiar with. It flows out of this idea of the revelation of Christ, but our mission statement says, empowered by the Holy Spirit, Fullerton Free is a loving community, united in sacrifice, and living like Christ for the glory of God. 
At the heart of that sentence is living like Christ, which is revealing Jesus to us and us by us, right? But the way in which that happens is through the power of the Holy Spirit. It happens for the glory of God. And we isolated and identified being both a loving community and united in sacrifice because those are two things that are actually really hard for Christians to do sometimes. To be kind to one another and to lay down our own tastes and preferences for the good of the whole, for the good of the body. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. It is central to the teaching of Jesus that to follow him means to lay yourself down. That united in sacrifice thing is not, it's not a throwaway line. It's a core line to us because it was a core line to Jesus. We follow all of Jesus, not just the parts we like at any given moment. You've probably seen people that will, you know, they want to justify their own anger. They want to justify their own hatred. And they're like, well, Jesus turned over the tables and he smashed the place up. Maybe even did that twice. And you're like, yeah, okay. You picked two instances where it seems like Jesus is a little heated up. And in those cases, he was heated up at the religious system, right? So we could talk about that for a little while. But you're pulling two things out. Don't reform Jesus into the shape that suits you best. When I say that Jesus is central, when I say that first and foremost we are Jesus followers, I mean we follow the whole Jesus, including his march up to the cross to die for the sins of the world. That sacrificial nature, the gentleness and the lowliness, the humility, that mindset it talks about in Philippians 2. We follow all of that. You can't just pick and choose the stuff you like, like maybe you do at a buffet where you just take the jello and you leave the coleslaw. I'm talking about myself. And then finally... Finally, let me say this, as we talk about who we are, followers of Jesus, right? That he is at the center, revealing Christ is at the center for the glory of God, empowered by the Spirit. But let me say this too, there's a way in which the centrality of Christ happens both in our church and in your life, and it doesn't happen by you trying harder. So this is, this is kind of, it's very important. So let me just say this, we have a, uh, we have a tendency in our lives to want to jump straight to the doing. You know what I'm saying? So there are some of you, maybe even as I was reading that list of a hundred things and I didn't get all the way through it, that you're like, I want to get my hands on that list and then I'm going to start doing all those things that Jesus did on that list and I'm going to check it off. And you'll burn yourself out really quick, right? Because we jump to the doing. It's the most tangible and practical. We just go, well, what was Jesus like? Oh, he, he fed the poor. Yeah, I want to feed the poor. He was nice to kids. Okay, I'm going to be nice to kids. And it's not wrong to imitate those practical things about Jesus, but you can do those Jesus-y things without knowing Jesus or making Jesus the center of your life. Does that make sense? So we're actually not aiming at the action. And this is Jesus' message. When I talk about following Jesus, when I talk about the centrality of Christ, I'm not talking about knowing a lot of stuff about him. I've already said that. It's not about intellectual understanding. There is no systematic theology test coming in the future. There is no place in the future where God's going to say, make sure you get all the answers right. If there was a theology test in the future, everyone would fail, including all of the theologians. There is no Bible college professor or seminary professor in the world that will pass God's systematic theology test. Everybody's got something wrong. Why? Because they're broken, just like you and me. Somebody's got it right, and your guess is as good as mine in some of those non-essential things, right? It isn't about what you know. It's also not about what you do. Jesus vitally in John 15 says this. John 15 verse 4, Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. 
As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And this is a hard one for people to get. But when I say, you know, who, who we are, Fullerton Free, we are Jesus followers. What I'm talking about here is not first and foremost about you doing Jesus-y stuff. What I'm talking about is us aiming at knowing Christ more deeply and abiding with him. The idea of abiding is the idea of active stillness. There is intention there, right? There has to be desire and intention. You're not going to accidentally abide with Christ. So there is intention, but the intention is to remain in Christ, to walk with Christ, to know Christ more. What Jesus says is, apart from me, you can't do any of those things anyway. Abide in me, and I will produce all that fruit. All the doing is a byproduct of remaining in Christ, resting in Christ, who he is and who he has said you are in him. It's about receiving his grace. I think about that storm that Jesus is in, right? And the the storm is raging and the disciples are freaking out and they're like, where's Jesus? And they find him and he's like sleeping on a cushion, it says in the boat. They're like, oh, there's a storm. Why are you sleeping on a cushion? And he gets up and he calms the storm. It's very cool. But what I wish that story depicted was that the disciples are freaking out. Oh, there's a storm. And they see Jesus sleeping on a cushion and they go, he's sleeping on a cushion. Is there room on the cushion for us? And they just curl up next to Jesus and go to sleep in the storm. Because if you're with Jesus, the doing, the doing is secondary. He'll calm the storm if the storm needs to be calmed. But what you need most is not to have the storm calmed. You need to snuggle up to Jesus on the cushion. Does that make sense? There's, a, there's an idea, and by the way, this illustration is not mine, it's Christina Marindola, she's on, uh, she's on a little trip this weekend, but Christina said this week when we were getting our motorcycle licenses, there's a little fun fact for you, she has a motorcycle license, and so do I, we got them about the same time. I ride a scooter, so don't be, I'm not that cool, right, so don't be, yeah, don't, don't get the wrong idea. I got, I got tattoos, but I'm not that cool, right, so uh, when I was getting my motorcycle license, there's a funny thing called... Uh, It's called target fixation. Motorcycle riders, you know what this is. Target fixation is a phenomenon wherein if you are riding your motorcycle or your scooter and you and you see an obstacle and you're worried about hitting the obstacle, you absolutely will. So on the on the motorcycle rider's exam, you have to weave in and out of these cones. And if you're focused on the cones, you will hit them all you'll hit every cone. The only way to pass that part of the motorcycle rider's exam is to look beyond the cones. And then you can weave in and out because your body's doing a thing naturally because you've lost that object fixation. Does that make sense? In the Christian life, when we say we're about following Jesus, when we say Jesus is the center, what we're talking about is abiding in Christ, pursuing a relationship with Jesus. If you focus on the doing, you'll hit every cone, right? If you focus on the doing, you'll hit every cone. You, you, You can't do it. Focus on knowing Jesus and walking with him and allow him to produce that fruit in you. Otherwise, you're essentially just sort of duct taping fruit on your branches. Interestingly, in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, Jesus was visiting with Mary and Martha. As they went on their way, Jesus entered a village. A woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve all alone? Tell her then to help me, right? Have you ever been in that situation? I'm doing all the work here. And listen, Martha's doing good stuff, right? She's serving people. That's beautiful. Jesus' response is really interesting. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing's necessary. 
Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. I wonder in our lives, and maybe even specifically for our purposes this morning in our Christian lives, if we're anxious and worried about many things. But only one thing is necessary. Following Jesus. He looks into the lives of those men in the boat and he says, Fishing's fine, but there's something better over there. He looks into the life of a guy like me and he says, come and listen to the most beautiful song you ever heard. All your friends are going to want to hear this song. And I go, what? Let's go. When I was 17, I gave my life to Jesus. I'd grown up in a Christian home, but my parents were divorced. My dad was a pastor and my parents were divorced when I was 13. The pastor of my church was also my dad. And uh, at that time, you can probably imagine, I didn't want to have much to do with God, <laughs> right? Because everything in faith was sort of connected to him. When I was 17, I went to a camp and I realized that Jesus was the only place I was going to find integrity and faithfulness, a keeper of promises, right? That Jesus was the one place I, I could find security and safety. And I gave my life to Jesus at 17. And at that time I said, hey, I'll go wherever you want me to go and I'll do whatever you want, want, want me to do, right? I, I was following Jesus, truly. I, I, when I met my wife and we started talking about getting married, I was like, I don't know that we'll ever own a car, or that we'll ever have a house or that we'll ever have like a regular job. We may just be following Jesus all around the world month to month. I don't know what our lives will look like. I committed myself to follow Jesus. And you guys, that's, you know what, that's <laughs> 30 years ago, more than 30 years ago. And that's still what I'm doing today. I'm still just following Jesus day to day. I'm not making five-year plans or 10-year plans. I'm going, Jesus, where do you want me today? I have different questions than I had as a 17-year-old. I've experienced different things than I had at 17, right? I've been beat up in ways I never expected. There are things that have been hard and things that have been incredible, right? In the last 30 years, but my focus remains the same as a 49-year-old man in front of you as it was when I gave my life to Jesus at 17. My commitment is, I don't know about all this other stuff. I'm going to follow Jesus, right? I don't know how it's going to turn out. I, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's happy. Sometimes it feels awesome. Sometimes it feels the worst ever. But I'm just going to follow Jesus and we'll see where he takes us, right? That's the commitment we've made and that's the road we're still on. That's what this church has to be about, right? I don't know. I don't know what's around the corner. Neither do you. What we can know is that Jesus is trustworthy and true, that he is the savior of the world. And so what is central to who we are, church? You want to know what this church is about? I can answer your question in one word. This church is about Jesus and following him. And that's what we're doing. If that sounds interesting to you, you'll be a good fit. Would you pray with me? God, I pray that you would stir in us a desire to focus on your centrality, to snuggle up next to you on the cushion, to abide in you and allow you to produce the fruit. But don't let us get distracted by non-essential things. Don't let us be divided by social distinctions, uh, theological arguments that are useless. Help us to remember that our preferences are not what drive us, that what drives us is this call to take up our cross and follow you, to be people of service and sacrifice, so that empowered by your Holy Spirit, we can live like you for the glory of God. God, will you make us both individually and corporately as a church a place where you are accurately revealed, that you would be revealed to us and in us, both individually and corporately, and by us for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors. Help us to abide in you and not to focus on the fruit, not to focus on the doing, but on the knowing this God 
who was the catalyst for that followership at first. You called us. We didn't choose you. You called us and we follow you because, because you called. We pray that in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.